0: Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back MHP Nation.
1: Ferd Neiman here with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. My guest today, pleased to bring to you, he's a big time national MHC, MHP broker. Got a good team. They're selling deals all over the country. He runs the Esterson team. Esterson MHC team out of Marcus and Chaps. Please welcome my guest, Glenn Esterson.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on
1: here. You got it, Glenn. Thanks for being here. Well, tell us a little about yourself. I, I know you, but our viewers may not. They probably do, but tell us how you got into MHP space and a little bit about your background so we can kind of get to know you a little better.
2: Sure, sure. So I'm Glenn Esterson. Uh, I've been doing brokerage for 20-something years now, and uh Stumbled into my first park back in 2003 or four. Uh, I have no idea what I was getting into. And, uh, you know, I've been in this industry a long time, and I've brokered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. And, you know, nowadays, me and my team, we kind of run around, you know, the United States selling parks. We typically sell, you know, one, two, three parks a week. And, you um, you know, we we kind of are a shoe for every foot type of thing. You know, I, I'll sell a park for three hundred thousand dollars one day, and then sell a park for thirty million dollars the next day. Um, and we deal with you know straight land lease communities, and we deal with a lot of park owned home communities and everything. So, um, you know, we we typically we get around. You know, we, this year alone, we transacted in fifteen states so far. Um, you know, and. and my team is a very small team. We're only, you know, a, a total of seven, of seven of us, and a couple of them are, are support and not agents. And, um, you know, we've, we've been having a good time. And our, our big thing, the way that, that we approach this whole sales thing and, the, and who we're bringing buyers to is with this kind of ethical implication about being a park owner and dealing with affordable housing and low-income tenants. And we, we are very careful of the type of buyer we bring in. That isn't going to squeeze the tenant for you know a two hundred percent rent hike on day one or something like that. And we focus very much on you know achieving the highest possible market pricing and still getting this kind of buyer that understands you know what what we kind of coined as the empathetical capitalist type of approach. And it's a mouthful. Some people call it compassion capitalism. Um, we think an empathy approach is even better than a compassionate approach. And so we, we kind of outline our strategies, uh, on how to achieve upside before squeezing the tenant, you know, for us, we're, we're big on infill and then we're, right. you know, big on filling vacant homes and then the infill and then the expansion before you even, you know, really discuss press and rents. So that's kind of me in a nutshell, been doing this a long time. I've been, uh, you know, on the stream other end of life where it was very much a struggle and, and I was very poor and, and, you know, I you know, a bunch of us living in a you know a thousand square foot house with one bathroom and raising kids on my own and all that kind of stuff. And, and I got into manufactured housing by total accident about a park because I, I needed to, I was a farmer at the time and I was brokering, but uh, brokering a, a deal or two here and there. Um, and uh, another broker came to me and said, "Hey, I got a, I got a great opportunity for you. It's up in this tiny little town you've never heard of, and it's, you know it's a trailer park, and that's what we called it back then. <laughs> Saying I don't want anything to do with that. And you know for six months, I haggled with me until I finally bowed to his pressure and bought the park. And you know learned real quickly that like." Like that's the hardest business a man can get into. <laughs> so, you know, it was all parkle domes, and it was all, you know, a D-minus type of park in the D-minus type of location, and uh you know, it was making me my 10, 12 percent, but I was working for every nickel and dime of that thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, after a couple of years of getting the hang of it, I finally got the hang of it, and then the recession came, and Went through that thing and you know taught me a whole new level of understanding how poor people can be and how desperate times can get and it really changed my approach to, to just about everything with this industry and then i started in parks you know full-time and you know here i am today and i you know like i said i saw a lot of deals
1: <laughs> that's great no I, I i like like your method there the ethical approach i think that's definitely the way to go what we do when we buy parks is we do a lot of the upgrades and stuff and, and pour a bunch of capex into the park before we even about a rent raise, and you know, we're having the pro forma a rent raise at some point. But it's, I feel like it's easy to raise rents and be way below market because there's some people up there that are raising them so much. I've got a park here in, in my metro that I'm at 375, the big the big players are at 525. And I'm like, yep. okay, I can get there $25 a piece, I'll get there at some point. I'm not going to go 200 bucks. And it was a big infill, I brought in 49 homes in the last year, just one park. So it's like, I'm going to make value add by bringing in homes. And and then ancillary services like people want a shed, people want pets, some of those sort of add on costs without having to jack the rent up, especially on the folks that have been there for twenty five years. Legacy
2: tenants, you got to protect these guys, man. Like like they're not there because they, they want necessarily to be there. They're there because there wasn't a lot of options for them, and this was the most affordable option for them. You got to be really cognizant of that, you know. And like yeah, five hundred dollar markup would be nice, and your cash flow great, great. Then get the new guy. Get the new guy five hundred dollars, bring a nice home in, get the new guy five hundred dollars and, and help your legacy tenants, you know, catch the breath, <laughs> you know, because there's been a lot of turnover in our industry this last few years, and these guys have probably already gone through a pretty heavy rent press a lot of the times.
1: Right. And I feel like the guys that are jacking the rents up that bad, they're they're gonna ruin it for
2: everybody because we're yeah. legislation's get- coming. We're having regulations definitely coming downstream, man. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a fact of life. Capitalism will devour itself and, and am a capitalism all about that money. But at the same time, you know, unbridled capitalism, it devours itself. And, you know, and so the government's going to step in because, you know, it's, people are going to start raising, you know, raising a fuss when it's the, there's no more affordable options in, in a town for somebody, you know, and that's, you know, easier, easier to regulate ourselves and, and put these kind of cautionary tales in place. And, And like, we don't do this and we don't do that, and we help improve this and we help improve that. We're gonna have a much easier time in the long run with this industry, and I think we'll be able to live with this stuff a little bit better. I mean, what's twenty five dollars to you is nothing, and what's twenty five dollars to them is a whole lot of something sometimes, you know? Right. And twenty five
1: is twenty five is one thing, but I'm I'm under contract right now in Des Moines, and they're in the parks at like two eighty. The market is anywhere between four hundred and six fifty. It's like okay. I want to be able to get from 280 and get up to 400 in a few years, but if 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 these other guys keep pushing it, there's now rent control talks every year in the last couple of years in Iowa. If they get they go to 700, 800, if there's no rent control. I'm going to be stuck at 280 forever. So it's like I'm stuck of, at I'm 280. Kind of and then, yeah, I, like I almost need to increase now because it's going to get hit. labor I can't increase that much. And this is a get the new guys,
2: get get the new guys, and get the infill done, and get that side of the business up, and put the other people on a nice safe plan you know, that gets them moving. And that's, you know, to me, I mean, sometimes you sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And I'm not here to tell you how to do your business and there's no, there's a thousand ways to skin that cat. Right. You know, I'm just saying from, from my approach, how I've done things It's like, I, gosh, for those tenants that are already there, man, I promise you if you heard the real life stories of how much pain they go through on a daily basis, it'd be nice if we as landlords, you know, could be kind of a safe haven for them that still gives them the leg up. Still puts money in our pockets. Still lets us do the cash flow kind of game that we like to play. But we take it out on the new guy, not not the old guy. You know, that's for better or worse.
1: Yeah, no, I think that I think that makes sense. So that's good. So I know you, you mentioned you got this, you're doing deals in 15 states. So I think you're in the southeast. But where's the rest of your team at? And 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 where, does, where are you doing deals? I mean, are you, are you willing to do deals everywhere or
2: everywhere? We do deals everywhere. You know, so through Marcus and chap, it's you know we have eighty-something offices around the country. You know, thousands and thousands of, of real estate agents uh, working their tail off, and and they're a remarkable company. Um, they they have some of the hands-down best real estate brokerage minds I've I've ever met and ever. You know, um, and so, but the way that, that my team works, okay, and all of us are kind of interconnected with with the way it works, but at, like most places we're still competitors and you know they have their pocket listings and i got my pocket listings and all that kind of stuff and you know we we kind of don't collaborate as much as as i would like to see but we probably collaborate more than any other brokerage office out there yeah. uh, but for my team i am in wilmington north carolina which is on the coast you know here in the south uh, but then i have a guy in tampa who's my partner charles the heart and he's the man he's hands down one of the the best minds in this industry and and he's gone through a lot of up and downs to learn what he what he knows and and him and i we we kind of are the strategy guys on my team and we we broker most of the deals but everything comes through us and then we give it to the guys on my team we have guys in charleston atlanta seattle los angeles and so we have a pretty big network i'm trying to bring somebody else on up on the northeast for now that's mostly me dealing with that stuff for one of my other teammates but basically, between that, we, we help capital migrate from, you know, Seattle to Florida and from New York to Texas, you know. Right. And that's that's a big way of how we're able to push markets. You know, we just closed the deal yesterday in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, you know, at a four cap for a value add. Wow. And, you know, that's that's a nuts number. But man, it makes sense on that deal. This guy's going to make good money once he implements the upside that, that we've kind of outlaid for him. Uh, and so we, we have a lot of crossover with how we do it. And, of course, you know, you know this industry. Like I do this, you know, there's not a lot of people in there. There's a lot of people coming here, but there's not actually a lot of people here yet. And, you know, it's pretty easy to get known in our industry by having a big enough reach. And, you know, we had 12, 13,000 people in our, in our buying database. And, you know, we've got, you know, 50,000-something parks, you know, all around the country and 20,000, you know, full complete details on and so between having that information and and the conversations that we've been tracking for a decade now between all the park owners um, it gives us a good idea of how how people behave in an acquisition or a disposition and we build profiles around that so we can kind of see how one group is buying their purchasing behavior in florida would suggest that you know when, when a broker's not involved they would only pay x amount but if we get a broker involved we can get that same buyer group up to a different number and that usually well, 100% of the time beats whatever we make on a deal. Um, and so we're able to, to use that as a value proposition for a lot of the clients that we work with. And from a buyer's standpoint, you got no, there's no other brokerage company that I know of, that has got better data than we do. So you can really kind of see where the market's going and when you overlay one market on top of another market, you can kind of see, hey, if this is happening here, it's only a matter of time before it's happening there. And we can kind of figure out where that rent curve really is going to start happening and where the velocity of these transactions are going to be happening and bringing people from our industry or from apartments or single family homes or from, you know, whatever, you know, Wall Street type of markets into these new markets ahead of time where they're willing to pay more to get there. And at the same time, they're okay with the risk and the return aspect of it as we help them compile a larger portfolio and things like that it no, makes sense. Seems
1: like a good approach. I know I'm seeing lots of new people enter the space, lots of new capital, lots of new buyers. Is, is that what you're seeing? And as a result, I feel like the cap rates are just getting lower and lower, and I don't know when they're going to get to the, the level of, you know, the
2: P. Cap rates are irrelevant in my opinion, okay? Because a value added cap rate, like big deal. So this four cap I just sold in, in, in Little Rock, I mean, that's going to be a 10 cap before you know it, you know? I mean, it's going to be, you have to implement the upside you know there's a deal we just looked at and right before this call i was evaluating a deal in, in west north carolina guys that hundred dollar lot rents it's a two and a half cap on purchase okay because it's a hundred dollar lot rents you know but it's a, it's a nice size part and that thing's gonna be like a 25 cap by the time that thing's fully maximized you know so the cap rate to me is irrelevant for for value add on stabilizing it's much more relevant but at the same time the the, real, the real, factor that adjusts that cap rate from a broker's standpoint is, you know, we're balancing off of what the interest rate is going to be for that deal from the financing side. Right. So, you know, typically most of our buyers, going back to that buyer profile we were talking about, you know, we understand what kind of returns they need based off of their purchasing behavior with or without brokers, things like that. And typically what you're looking for is a spread between the interest rate and the cap rate. To match the type of risk that's involved, so that might be a one percent, you know, a one point spread. It might be a three point spread, and somewhere around two and a half points, three points, it becomes like a twenty percent IRR almost all the time. Right. When you get above that, it becomes a much higher IRR. But you know, with the higher IRR, it's definitely going to have probably more risk. Or you know that the broker that is selling that park or the seller that's selling that park mispriced their part probably. Right. Is um, if if agency debt's available and you have a five point spread between your interest rate and the cap rate, if I was a seller and I found that out, I would be mad at my broker for pricing that way, you know. Um, and if you know, if I'm a broker, if you're pricing that way, like you're going to fall behind the curve. Uh, and the value add stuff with bridge loans out there, which we know are, are pretty much a, a thing mm-hmm. that are absolutely critical to helping these value adds get to the next phase of financing, is you know. It, those guys need such a low dcr and we can keep that spread in there on that interest only for that first set of you know equations on the p l and so you have to know how to do it and that's how we kind of so the cap rate it is going to get more aggressive it's going to right unless the interest rates go up then our cap rates are going to decompress but we have all this interest coming into our industry we are the safest industry right now to invest in you know we've had almost no fallout from covid Okay, for I would imagine your story is the same here. That your collections are probably pre-COVID levels right now. Right. You're probably thinking about pushing rents. You're probably thinking about increasing occupancy right now. Not too many industries can say that. So w- w- supply and demand. I mean, that's what all it boils down to, right? And 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 anytime there's risk in the in the world, people flock to a safe haven. Right now, we're looking really safe, and with interest rates incredibly low, you know, it's the aggregators are just having a field day right now as they go around and consolidating all these parks around the country and I mean we've probably I can't even absolutely thousands of units just a single brand new people in one year already you know because that's that's what these guys are doing and they're not stopping I mean we got people with 500 million dollar funds coming in that aren't institutions okay we have you know real players coming in and then we have all these sponsors coming in from the, from the back end saying I don't want to touch a park but I want to go give a guy a bunch of money to go buy a bunch of parks, you know, and and that's happening a lot too. Um, So today's still good value in my opinion, because a six cap or a five cap is still a good number overall. And we're going to have better returns because it's never about the day one cap. We're not, we're not like a, a, uh, an industrial building. That's got a, you know, corporate guarantee and your five cap is a five cap is a five cap for that whole lease term or whatever, with maybe half point increments every five years. We're not that we know a five cap today is definitely not a five cap tomorrow and that's that's why you see more coming in and, and if you had the money and you have the time and endurance buying parks right now is still real good we're we're not going to see blood in the water I don't think for a while it's going to have to hurt a lot worse out there before we start seeing any significant blood in our water
1: no i, I agree and i i think people are, are paying more and more for the upside as you mentioned because again i'm gonna, like i agree with you on the value add i mean i bought a deal a year ago the cap rate was, was infinite right? There was, there was zero NOI. I mean, even this guy had this guy had a two and a half million dollar investment and he had no debt. He had cash in it and they couldn't even cash flow, okay? They were just mismanaging it. They had 11 people on the payroll. They should have had two or three total. <laughs> oh, so, was I a fool that paid a you know one cap or an infinite cap or no? I was, I was doing it for the upside, right? Yeah, so, I, I definitely agree with you. I, my bigger concern with the interest rate stuff is people are going to get stuck in these deals longer than they want because, the low interest rates of that spread we're talking about, they're making some of the deals make sense economically. You know, if you can get two and a half percent agency debt, oh, yeah. you can buy a four and a half, five cap park. But if, if interest rates go up, which I'm not sure they will, but if interest rates go up to say four or five percent, you're kind of stuck in that deal because the guy you're going to, if you're going to sell to the next guy, he can't get two and a half percent debt. He's going to need four and a half percent debt. And you're going to know that's the valid market. And that's going to push the valuation down. So you, if you had a five-year pro forma with an nexus strategy, you know, you may have to push off the disposition. Absolutely. Until, until that's, you prepaid your principal, which is going to take 10 and 15 years. And that's a long hold period for a lot of these guys.
2: It is. It's part of the risk reward in this, in this whole industry. And with interest rates right now, the feds are telling us, Hey, we're going to keep them you know, artificially low for, for the foreseeable future. So, you know, we, we know we got a couple years probably of, of right. having pretty strong uh, or low interest rates, if you will. But you know, it, like when I bought my part, my industry rate was like seven and a half percent or something insane, you know. And and like it was hard, it it was hard to pay the monthly nut on that thing. Um, but as you grow your rents sustainably, and and the market has more has more demand than supply, you're still gonna find your balance. But you know, the days of doubling your money in three years, I, I'm hoping those days are are ending in this industry because it's bringing such the wrong type of element into our industry where people are getting too aggressive with the red pushes and doing things like that, because they just looking at it as a flip and fix, you know, or fix and flip. Um, And that's, that's the wrong element from an ownership standpoint. I I know I go against the grain with, with, you know, this on on a lot of investors and brokers, but uh, you know, to me, the industry is more important than some independent investor, you know, getting rich quick. I, I think that's just not what, We need to be focusing on as advocates of affordable housing for our industry when America needs affordable housing so terribly bad. And, you know, if you're an advocate of affordable housing and you're sitting on piles and piles of vacant lots, then are you really an an advocate of affordable housing or are you more of a straight capitalist and you're trying to make your buck off of some poor people? And hey, I'm not saying which is right or which is wrong, just call it what it is. And if you're trying to influence, the, the uh, affordable housing kind of institution that's out there and make it stronger and make it so everybody has a roof over their head. And I think you almost have to take it on yourself as a park owner with the, the vacancies that you have to, to, to utilize that before you start, like I said in the beginning, start squeezing everybody else, especially your legacies.
1: Right. No, I think the infill strategy is the way to definitely solve that affordable housing gap that's where the money's
2: at, man. That's, and that's where the money's at for you. You know, exactly. it's a win-win.
1: You know, I mean, and I got—I'm under contract on a park here in Missouri, and I met the seller out there, and he drive—he drove his Porsche to the mobile home park. I was like, "What are you doing?" And this is a very downtrodden park, <laughs> big time value add, really rough. And I was like, "Why are you rolling in here in a Porsche?" And, he, and my business partner said he had a different Porsche last time I was here. He has multiple Porsches, and I was just like, "So then we—I go to of these park-owned homes. There's a there's a single mom with, with three boys." And she's telling us all these, are you maintenance? You know, can you fix this? Look, my water heater, look, it's got hot wire sitting there in the water. She used to, she used to jimmy rig the hot water heater to take a shower. And she was, I talked to the boss, but he he said he's got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. And, he, and she has two air, she has two mattresses on the, in each bedroom, one in each bedroom. Nope, no sheets, no pillow, no bed frame. Yeah. And there's, and there's four of them. So like, somebody is either A, sleeping with mom or B, sleeping on the, in the chair. And and the guy in the Porsche, can't fix the hot wire. I'm just like, I'm not sure, sure. if we're closing that deal. Cause there's, a, we I just had some, found some sewer problems today. But if we do end up closing on that deal, they're going to love me because like, I mean, also now I got to budget a bunch more deferred maintenance on the park on homes. Cause I know there's stuff that he hasn't fixed, but it's like the guys like that are the guys that are give us into our industry a bad reputation, bringing more regulations out. And then it's yeah. just, it makes the deal harder and harder. So yes. I think I'm, I'm with yeah. you on the philosophy, but that's good. Well, I got another question for you, Glenn. So I know you're dealing with, when you're dealing with a $30 million park, it's not your, your small-time new buyer. Maybe it's a new fund or a new private, a private equity group. But what about for the smaller buyers that are trying to buy their first deal? What tips do you have for them? Because you got a, you got a busy dance card. You're gonna yeah. you know, you're probably going to answer the call on the $30 million deal worth more, more than the 300000 But there's, there's smaller deals for other folks. are not even going to to be small. What, what can a new guy do to get on your radar and get, your, get a cool. time of day?
2: Absolutely. So I return every email and every call. I give everybody the time of day. If you're the new guy, I love talking to you. It's okay. Yeah, I might not give you all my, time, but I'm going to give you some time. I'm going to hear you out. I'll probably bring you over to one of my other agents on my team and they might pick up the slack from that point. Um, But, you know, for us, like I said, I don't care if it's, if if you're buying a $300,000 park or $30 million park, you're going to get top of the line service from, from anybody on my team. Because right, that's just the most important thing to us is making sure you're making a good deal. Um, now, there's a ton of parks out there, you know, right now available for a million bucks plus or minus. And the things that you have to understand on your first park, especially on your first park, is, man, there's, there's a couple absolutes you have to understand Any of these things, is location, location, location is still the number one rule in real estate, guys. And so you might not be able to buy in downtown, you know, L.A. or, or you know, downtown Houston, but if you're trying to buy locally, still buy in the best possible location locally that you can. In my case, I bought in the worst location, and it was far in the middle of nowhere. And that was that was a real pain in the butt to sell at the end when I was finally done with that project. because, And the location sucks, and I didn't get the, the, the crazy run-up in values that these other parks were getting. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so location. And within the location, understand the municipality, man, because a lot of these mis- municipalities – you don't want to get in bed with them. They're just just—they're just going to throw wrench after wrench after wrench at you, especially if you're not a local. And they're going to come at you with all sorts of things that you didn't know to ask when you were going through your due diligence because these kind of sound like, why the hell would I even think to ask of these questions? Until they throw the wrench at you and you realize that, oh, man, I should ask that question. <coughs> things like, you know, if the, the park's not in the city limits, is there any plans to get it? annexed into the city limits because that's going to affect your taxes. And so they might make you hook up from a private utility system to a public utility system. And that can be extremely expensive. Um, you know, there's, there's those kind of things you need to ask the municipality. You want to figure out if they're friendly or if they're not, of course, if you show up and you say, Hey, I got a business plan. And this is what I'm trying to do. I want to turn this slum hole into, you know, something real nice. And this is my plan where you work with me. And they start giving you some, some ideas of what to do. That's a good sign. But you got to talk to permitting, you got to talk to zoning, you got you to gotta talk to all the different aspects of the municipality, because that's that's what most people forget to do, and then they just don't understand how painful that is, especially when it comes to things like grandfathering, you know, the grandfather clause, and a lot of these parks not being, you know, conforming uh, 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 zoning, and things like that. So if you don't know to ask that stuff, which, why would you, you know, because most of the time you, you don't have to think about that when you're buying a house or something, you know. Right. And so you have to learn to ask these and your broker should be able to at least give you a generic idea of what you should be asking a guy like you for should be able to give them really good guidance on the stuff that they're supposed to be asking. Um, you know, attorneys are great at this kind of stuff. So don't, don't be penny wise and out foolish and, and not buy it, you know, bring an attorney to the, to the table with first part. man, it's so foolish you know, but a lot of guys do it. Cause they're like, Oh, it's a couple thousand bucks and I'm smart enough. I know what to do. Right. And then people, then the you whatever.
1: I no. get those calls all the time. There's like, okay, I'm closing so, on Tuesday. Can you just do the closing statement? And I'm just like, do you have an operating agreement? Do you have a zoning letter? Did you get a phase one? Let me, what'd you do in your survey? Do you make title objections? I'm like, no, no, no. I just, I just need help with like the, I need like a bill sale or like, okay. it was like, you need a That's lot crazy. more help. And then some guys call me, I have one broker who's referred a couple clients to me and the clients would call me like, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't think about any of this stuff before but like the city now says, like, I I can't bring in new houses. The city now says I have setbacks. What's a setback? What? Yeah. You know, it's like, that's the big one. I can't that's help the one you. they get you on. Some of the stuff like, it's, I can't help you at this point. I'm just like, I don't need to expert on the client. Like, this is, you're going to have to Too sue. Late. And you're talking about two or three
2: lots. It's not even be worth suing, you know? So, yeah. And it's like, yeah, you could win after a year or two or three of arguing with these guys spending tons of money or you can comply and you're going to lose a few lots, yeah. You know. So very, I just went through that experience with a guy in Charleston in South Carolina. Uh, it was like a 40-something space park. He bought it thinking, hey, 40 spaces is 40 spaces, and he had some junker homes in there. He pulled one of the homes out, wanted to bring a new home, and, hey, here comes the city. Hey, guess what you're going to have to do now is you just voided all your grandfather, and he could sue us. But like I said, it's going to take a few years, and, you know, it's still going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. He ended up losing from 40-something spaces to 30-something spaces at his park, you know? And, that's, and you had to do a full redo. I mean, you know, a full redo and twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 space to, right. to recomply now, you right. know? Um, like, it's a painful lesson to learn because you forgot to ask that municipality that question. You know, the next most important thing is the tenant base is understand the kind of tenant base that you got in there. And, you know, a lot of these mom and pops, they, we ain't got no leases half the time. It's usually just like a, you know, hey, I had 500 bucks and I moved in and I've lived here ever since, you know? And it might not, the seller may or may not be the most honest person, and they'll tell you, hey, this guy, Johnny in five pays 200 this guy the number four pays 300 and there's no real track record of, because they're not depositing the money in the bank, and maybe they're living off of the income, right. and there's no leases, the so thing you have to do is stop the letters, and that's going to sound like, you know, communism to them, so right. they're going to run for the hills, you know, right. and it, it's going to be a very confrontational type of thing, but maybe they're all great tenants and everything's above board, but you have to get to know these tenants a little bit. And I really advise spending some time in the park doing your stop letters, knocking on doors, saying hello to these guys. Saying, hey, is this actually what your rent is? Do you have this, that, or the other? I should know about and get that kind of down. Cause you know, there's not, there's a lot of people that may not just tell you what you, what you need to know. They only tell you what they want you to know. And you have to learn to, to dig with the municipality and with the tenants. And then the financing, holy moly, is the financing card on these things, you know? And so, right. you know, don't don't come into this industry thinking you get into this for ten or twenty percent. Right? It's you know, ninety percent of the time that ain't gonna happen. Ninety-five percent of the time that ain't gonna happen. It's gonna be probably thirty or thirty-five percent on your first deal. Maybe twenty-five percent if you got a nice local bank that's doing right. good deals for you. But you know, if you're trying to get you know good agency debt, it's probably going to be something in that thirty to thirty-five uh, percent.
1: Um, getting agency debt is going to be unrealistic for most first time uh, for a first-time buyer. Yeah,
2: exactly. You know, for experience. Um, I mean, they, that they're going to let you even sign the bad boy provision, so you have to yeah have to recourse. Yeah. I mean, CNBS, CNBS sometimes you know, um, uh, community banks. So they're they're a bit easier, but they're they'll tell you, that, yeah, we'll do this, we'll do this deal for you. Well, and, 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 yeah, I know we love mobile home parks until it goes to committee. And those guys are like, We don't touch trailer parts, no way, you know? And it's yeah. like reevaluate this thing yeah. at a twenty cap, and then that's what we'll end on it. And you're like, well, What are you talking about? Like, you said you would do it. And then all of a sudden you pissed everybody off in the deal, the deal's blown up, you've lost your escrow and things like that. So you, you wanna have... be Go ahead, sorry. As just say like, you wanna be very upfront with the financing when when you first start looking at the deal, go get that soft quote, get somebody to kinda of verify make sure you're capable, make sure you got reserves. I don't even ad- even think you should invest in anything for that matter, but especially this industry, until you have at least six to twelve months of just living reserves for yourself and your family. Because like before you know it, you can get into a deal, the city comes and says, hey, there's an unpaid thing of thirty thousand dollars or or hey, you got all this underground work that is now a problem. Here's a hundred thousand dollar bill to fix it. And there goes, you know, there goes like <laughs> you're gonna have problems you know so you want to have this reserve built up that's something a lot of people forget to do those, those four or five things that's what i would say if you can at least cover that base as, as getting yourself initiated in this industry you're going to come out better than, than the guy who did it, that's for sure
1: no those are just good tips kind of lessons from school hard knocks i've, I've got a client now that the, the buying entity i go do you want to, you're to create an llc they go no we're gonna use our retirement account so they're not only do they not have the savings they're like they are they don't have liquid savings to live on they're pledging their retirement account i was like you guys that's a lot of eggs in one basket you know that's but that's the only way they can afford to get in so I'm like i'm not trying to tell you how to run your life but you just need to be aware that this is not all you scary know, candy canes here i mean and i want to make a comment on the bank approval stuff too because it's really good I, i'm now i like to have more than one bank looking at every deal look at good banking relationships but because i had a deal that it was a bank that i had already I had over over two million dollars of balance with them. And when you have over two million, you gotta go to committee. It was a, this is a Kansas City Bank. I had to go to committee. It was in a different city. Well, that bank I had to go to the, the regional committee and they approved my loan seven to zero. This was for a deal out of state. Okay, great. So I moved forward. Earnest money went firm, paid for the appraisal, everything was good. Well, it comes time to fund the loan, and the CEO, you know. apparently, unbeknownst to me, has veto power. I was like the local branch, seven-zero committee. The regional branch, which had like two or three of the local guys on the regional branch, uh, statewide, they voted seven-zero. And the CEO said, "Oh, that's in a that's in a blue state. I don't like high taxes. I don't like those states. I'm going to veto it." So I have no idea. People in the local committee didn't know. I'm sitting here, ten days out from closing. My earnest money is firm, and it was like fifty thousand dollars earnest money. So <laughs> it wasn't a thousand bucks, uh, and I'm about to be screwed. It's just like. So luckily, I had another bank that I've done business with that was able to step up at the last minute. And bank one was kind enough to reassign the appraisals to bank two. I didn't have time to order new appraisals. and I can't give them directly. I can't just give them a PDF. So I ended up getting it done. But had I not had two banking relationships with local banks, I'd have been screwed and then lost that deal and lost a
2: bunch of money. Absolutely, it's it's just like anything else. You know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Have some backup options. Go get. It's like if you're going to the doctor, you're not going to take the doctor's. You know, one this one doctor's thing about this disease you all of a sudden have. You know, like you're going to go get a couple other quotes. You know, you're going to say, Doc, what else? You know, what else? What else? And in finance, with the with the, with the, getting the finance and stuff, you know, I. I, I I'm appreciative of guys like you who want to go deal with the banks yourself and go do, you know, pick up the phone a hundred times, talk, find the one bank that will finance that man. I, I personally think the brokers, not the, not the real estate broker, but the mortgage broker is the, one of the best resources for our industry. And we got some really capable mortgage brokers in our industry that really understand how to turn the bolts and get things done. And, you know, that's, that's yeah, going to pay a half a point or a point or a point and a half or whatever it might be. But the time value, hey, you know what I mean? When, when, when you're spending all that time going through the, the the lesson you just went through just to get to the finish line and be told psych, you know, it's like, you know, boy, that's painful. Whereas the mortgage broker probably would have seen that happening and probably advised you know a different strategy with that particular bank because it's like people tell me all the time oh i got bbt to say yeah i'm gonna do this loan with you and it's like you know BBT stopped lending on this you know asset class for a few years and you know the the three deals that they closed in the last one year there's only three deals <laughs> you know so it, it's like you have to kind of pay attention I, i'm just making up a bank i'm not picking on bbt uh um, you know but it's like that type of thing you know the the real estate broker should have some good insight as to the capability of the, person, of the person or or the institution financing the park and your mortgage broker should have just an immense amount of data on who gets stuff done and who doesn't get stuff done the local banks they're there to fill a thing but boy they're they're they, they like to tease you they really like to tease you and then they you know they come back with an appraisal that makes no damn sense sometimes and you have to go back to them and be like i've sold 10 parks within 100 miles of this park Here's those comps. Why aren't those comps on your reports that are showing, you know, that this should be a 15 cap instead of a seven cap. What are yeah.
1: you guys do? Oh, I you know? can't win. I had a deal where I actually was, I sold two parks in this, in this exact city the year prior. Only one of those two parks showed up on the comp of 10 comps. They were right. going Indiana and stuff. I was like, yeah. I have two. In fact, the bank that had the loan on them is the same bank I'm asking for a loan now. So you knew about this. And one of them, it was like, it was a lot, it was all park owned homes. So a good portion of the allocated value was on the homes. Sure. The appraiser only looked at the real estate component that was at the County Recorder Deeds Office. So the comp that he used was only, was half the value of the park. The value. That, that half comp to comp out my new park I was trying to buy and ended up, ended up missing the appraisal. Like you almost never miss the appraisal. Like, I had to put like $45,000 extra cash in
2: to make the, uh, price the so appraisal frustrating. So frustrating. so you frustrating. Now we, we, we've gotten into the habit of calling up the appraisers and the banks and arguing with them until we're blue in the face. And, you know, we just went through that on a deal in North Carolina and they're like, Oh, but it's only worth, you know, 75% of the value you're saying. And we showed them so many, we had to go through it so many times and they came up to about 90% of the value that we were. That's good. You got to change. You have to argue with them and you have to, you know, really be willing to just, you know, poke them. (laughs) Like Here's all the facts guys, you know, you're missing the ball here. And I'm going to tell everybody in this industry not to use you as a bank. So relook at this appraisal you know. and that's sometimes what you got to do. And that's where brokers really come in handy. You know, I, my team, other teams and competitive teams, I don't care, but use a broker, you know? Yeah. And cause those guys get, those guys get in front of things cause they're incentivized to go and make sure this deal gets to the finish line, you know? And that's, that's kind of what you need when you're just winging it yourself, especially as a new guy, which is exactly what I did. And, and like, oh, hey, can you get me a closing statement tomorrow? And that was me, you know, 20 years ago. And that's, like, just, boy, that's, that's just how you open yourself up to exposure is, is not using the professionals in our field, which there's right. some really good professionals in our field, uh, to protect you against these risks. Yeah, it costs a little bit more, but, like, the downside is way more than what we would have cost, you know? Uh, right. Especially in your case as an attorney, you know? It's, uh, you know, like, it, it, it's like... Who would not use an attorney on a real estate transaction? <laughs> lots,
1: you know, it's crazy. lots of people. About about half the transactions I'm involved with, there's no attorney on the
2: other side. No, that's the same with us. It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Like you guys are negotiating this contract without an attorney. Oh, you know, getting away, and you know they want to they they want to do all these you know legal ease changes, and it's like. Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're,
1: they're your advocate. You know, it's, and attorneys can ruin a lot of deals. Don't get me wrong, but it's like you probably at least have somebody looking at it for you. But people do it all the time. you yeah. know, anyway, Glenn, this is great. Where can people find you? Um, I know, I, I know where to find you. But how can people get a hold of you to you know, sure. get, your, get your opinion? On I,
2: I'm super easy, super easy to find. You can go to my website, which is the m uh, the mhp expert. Dot com or my, my brokerage site, which is estersenmhcteam.com. But if you just go on the LinkedIn and type in Glenn Esterson or in Google, type in Glenn Esterson, you'll pull me up. I mean, we're, we're extremely easy to get a hold of. Anybody on my team, um, you know, very capable people, and me and Charles are, are behind them, helping them with every aspect of it. And, you know, on my website, you can see all the team guys and contact them directly. We're, we're here to help. You know, we don't charge nothing, you know, we, we don't pay, you know, hourly attorney fees, you know. We, we're here just to help, and the only time you're going to pay us is if you're a seller in a transaction that we helped you get to the finish line. So, you know, that's free resources, you need rent counts, you need, you know, a, a, an evaluation of the park you're, you're thinking about selling or the park that you're thinking about buying. That's where we come in, and we, we, we really have the data to help you. Be very confident, even if you don't use us as your broker, and that's okay, to be confident that you're going to be not leaving money on the table or at least, you know, having a good strategy to to, to offset the excessively low cap rates that you're probably facing right now. And so use us as a resource. That's what we're here for. EstersonMHCTeam.com. All right. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate it.